Turn over in your Bibles to Romans chapter 12. We didn't finish this all up last week, so we're going to finish it up here this week. There was a story of a very animated professor at a Bible college by the name of Dr. Emmert. Taught about the uh, danger of blaspheming God's name by proclaiming anything less than God. He told of the stories in the Bible, how the earth opened up, how fire fell on others, and floods came upon other ones. He was uh, teaching his class along these things, and one time he told the class that he had uh, one response from a false, false cult. They had a, one of those false cults that came on up to the door, teaching their heresies and such things like that, and came to the door. And so he uh, had this to them. He said, I just paid off my house and enjoy it very much. If you are going to continue to spout evil doctrine that will anger the God of this universe, at least get off my porch. I don't know, sometimes we ought to take a little more seriously when people speak about heresies and, and things that are against God. But God sure did take it seriously. He didn't wipe them all out. But He sure did open up the earth, called down fire, flooded some out, did some things to people that were in heresies. You see people drop over dead teaching false, false things. Boy, I t- be, be careful. Oh, no. We're looking at living sacrifices. As careful as we ought to be of the things that we present as far as doctrine, the things that we allow our th- ourselves to become attached to as far as doctrine. Paul t- teaches us in Romans chapter 12 about becoming a living sacrifice. And we got into this last week and began to talk about it. How in our, our, the mind and our body, our mind and our body, he talked about in Romans 12, Romans 12, two, uh, 1 and 2. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your body as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. We saw that word for beseech is to call near. It was used even by military commanders as they called their armies, as they gave them the commands and the things that they were to do. He is calling them near. He says, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. This is something that he was, it was very dear to him, very, very close. He wanted them to be able to, to do this. And you're going to do this not by conforming to this world, but by being transformed. There is too much conformity going on with us in the, in the world. Too much conformity with Christians. And we have adopted the things that we shouldn't be adopting to. We have become complacent on things that we should not become complacent to. And we have conformed even to thinking that some evil that is resident in the world, we just have to accept. We've accepted some things on TV. We've accepted some things politically. We've accepted some things and some laws. And we're just not as concerned about it anymore. I heard that uh, one of the things that just got changed again. This has been changed back and forth. I don't know if you know this. But now it is once again, from what I understand, now it is once again legal for our tax money to be used for abortions. That has been reversed once again. It has been done so with each seems that they have reversed it. I'm not sure where it was with uh, Carter, but I know that Reagan, when he came in, signed, uh, he ex- uh, executed a, an executive order and knocked it out that our tax money could not be used to fund abortions. When Clinton came in and took office, he changed it, changed it back. When Bush came in and took office, he wrote an executive order and changed it back. Now President Obama has changed it back again, and now your tax monies are okay to be used for abortion. And we just, it's one of those things we should not be complacent about, folks. I know that there's not going to be no president that's going to take the office that we're going to agree with 100%. We didn't agree with the previous one. Have some areas we're going to disagree with with this one. 
But we have to make sure that those things are in the Word of God. We don't become complacent on. Abortion is an evil. It's a terrible thing. And if you go back in through history, you'll find out that the Greeks practiced abortion and you had a militant gay group before they fell. You also see the same thing happen with the Roman Empire. And many empires that have fallen allowed themselves to become lax in these areas. And we want to make sure that even though there are some laws that are going on in our country, we as Christians don't become lax in these things. So stay in touch with it. Be watchful over these things. Make sure that your voice is heard. Let your uh, senators, let your congressmen know where you stand on these things. Don't just say, well, I can't change anything. Don't take that attitude. Don't become complacent with it. We are to present our bodies as a living sacrifice. We are not to be conformed to this world. We are to be transformed. Be transformed. Walk in that way. We talked about spiritual giftings. That how everyone is different. We are not to be thinking of ourselves more highly than we ought to. When we get to a place and we start yelling at other people, hollering at other people, putting other people down, speaking evil about other people, we have elevated ourselves and we are thinking of ourselves higher than they are. And he said, make sure you don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. It's not saying that you ought to think lowly of yourself. He's saying don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. You ought to think highly of yourself. You ought to have some respect for yourself. But be sober. And now we went over the word sober. Talked about some things that it was. How it was being reasonable, being balanced, level-headed. The one one thinks and the way one thinks to maintain a proper appraisal, measurement, or value. To think clearly about one's limitations. So that there are many members and many functions. We all have different functions. We went over some of those functions. We went over some of our views of some of those functions. That our gifts differ according to the grace that is given. You know, you operate in that grace, that, that, that uh, area that God has given you. We talked about hospitality last week. All of us are called to be hospitable. Do not hide behind the thing that, well, I'm not called in that. You all are. We have covered that last week. How we all, everybody say all. all. We are all called to be hospitable. But some people are just given to it more than, than others. We went over the, you know, some, some folks here will invite the church over. Other people just, uh, their house just wouldn't quite, quite handle the whole church coming on over. It takes grace to be able to do that. How many of you know it takes some grace just to have one or two families over? <laughs> it takes grace to have even more than that. But there's, when you are operating in that gifting, and he talked about some, he didn't talk about all, he talked about some that was going on. When you operated in that gifting, there's this grace to get along with it, to go along with it. Now, just because there's grace for that thing to work doesn't mean that it's always going to be easy. It's not always going to be easy. You've got to make sure that you don't stop a thing just because it's, it's not easy. How many of you have ever gotten involved in something? Helping somebody out? Maybe God gave you the burden for this one over here. There's this person over here. And you got in there and all it was, you had the grace of God to help that person out. And you saw all the ugliness, all the stuff that they were going through. But that's alright. You had the grace of God. Then all of a sudden it just seemed like that grace was wearing out. God hadn't worn out yet. But that grace just seemed to be wearing out. Now you make sure you don't turn off anybody until God says, alright, that's it, move on. You keep on, you keep on going at it. Thank God for the grace to help us out in those gifts. But anyway, we spent time, so much time on those aspects of it. Last time we didn't get into the, all the other part. But in, in verse 9, we're gonna pick up here. Still review, we got into a few of these verses. Let love be without hypocrisy and abhor what is evil and cling to what is good. We're going to spend a little more time on this verse because we didn't get to last time. 
He said, let love be without hypocrisy. The Greek word for, for hypocrisy is... I wrote it in English. Boy, I have the hardest time when I do that. Anap- anapokritos. And it describes something that is pretended, simulated, faked, feigned, or phony. It pictures a person who deliberately gives a certain impression, even though he knows the impression he is giving is untrue. That is what it means to love, to love without hypocrisy. Don't give that impression. Don't, it is not right for you to go up and, and pretend to be real, real nice. How many of y'all know the people have done this to you? Pretend to be real, real nice. Oh, how you doing? Oh, that looks so nice on you. Oh, I've been so concerned about you. And then they go away from there and talk bad about you. Say nasty things about you. Say how you've been this and you've been that and you're no good here. But then they see you again. Oh, you're so good at that. You're, so, you're such a blessing in this area. See, that's, that's loving with hypocrisy. Don't be doing that. He says, let love be without hypocrisy. Let love be without hypocrisy. Don't have that stuff going on. Now, I'm putting this next section in here. I don't know if I filled in these blanks for you last week, but we'll fill them in here for you this time. Paul seems to point out to us, in the administration of my gift, my attitude matters. In the administration of my gift, my attitude matters. Your attitude matters in how you administrate your gift. Don't think, well, I went out there and I did it. I was loving. I was hospitable. I was giving. I was administrative. I was whatever it was that your gifting is. The thing that you're going out there and doing for God. Your attitude matters in it. Keep your attitude right. First off, he says, let love be without hypocrisy. Don't get into that area where you're, you're faking things in front of people and then going off and saying something different. Now, he's not saying that every feeling, every emotion inside you has to be lined up. Because that's, uh, that's sanctification. We've got to work that out a little bit sometimes. But you all know when you have bad attitudes and bad feelings about people. And then when you go off and you talk to somebody else you feel comfortable with and you spread all those bad things you've been feeling, that's loving with hypocrisy. Don't do it. He says, let love be without hypocrisy. Don't have that stuff going on. Abhor what is evil. Abhor what is evil. The word for abhor here, we mentioned this to you last time. We didn't get into a whole lot of detail on it, but we'll get more into it today. The word abhor is the Greek word apostageo, which is a compound of the word apo and stegeo. It means, the word apo means away. And the word stegeo means to hate. Away and hate. It describes an intense dislike, an aversion, or a repugnance to something. When these two words are compounded together, the new word conveys the notion of a person who hates something so extremely that it literally backs away from it in disgust. Now, we've got to give you a little bit of a word picture on this. And for you, it would be different. For me, there are certain things that I just abhor and I just back away from in disgust. One of them has been sauerkraut. I've mentioned that to you before. When I smell sauerkraut, I mean, I have a German name. I know I have some German blood in me somewhere. But uh, it does not work as far as my appetite is concerned. My father used to love sauerkraut. I know other people. My wife likes sauerkraut and other people like it. But do not get it near me. I do not like to be in the house when it is cooking. Of all things that I could possibly describe to you, sauerkraut is one of those things that I can tell you for sure, I abhor. I abhor. I detest it. Do not get it near me. 
I don't want to smell. It's just it's that cooked cabbage thing. Love cabbage raw, don't cook it. And then I don't know what else they do to make it sour, but whatever it is, it's horrible. But other people will will smell the same thing and love it. Oh, that's so good. Oh, how can you not like that? How about liver? Oh, we had that. I don't know what it is, but every time I had that when I was young, never had it when I've been an adult. There is not a single time when I was able to go out and buy my own food and my wife would go out and buy the food and we'd cook it. Never a single time we ever ate liver. Never went out to a restaurant and ordered liver. Never will. Not gonna. We get into heaven and that's all they're serving is liver. I may be asking if we're in the right place. (laughs) I don't like liver. I don't detest it as much as I do sauerkraut. Boy, sauerkraut, I can smell that coming. But liver is just dry. There's just, there's, I'm sure it's very nutritious. From what I understand, there's a whole lot of nutritional stuff in there. But, ah, I abhor it. I do not want liver. And, and, and you, you all can go name some things that you just don't like and this is just no good. But this is the, what it's talking about. When we abhor something, is that we, we see it as so disgusting, so gross so awful that I abhor it. I want to separate myself. I want there to be a distance between me and the sauerkraut. I want it to be so much difference that I cannot smell it in the air anymore. That's what I desire to be. They sometimes serve sauerkraut in the cafeteria. I forget which one of them was. It was high school. I don't know why they would have done it in high school. I never remembered a single high school person that, that liked it. But one of the cafeterias, it was either college or high school or someplace, they served it. And the whole place would stink. <laughs> now you would say, oh no, it probably smelled good. No, to me it stunk. I wanted to depart from the cafeteria and get out of there. Abhor what is evil. The word there for evil is the word paneros. I've heard one person make this comment about it. It is evil that is, that is evil for your body as well as your spirit and your mind. Paneros. Abhor what is evil. Take those things that are bad for your spirit. Take those things that are bad for your mind. Take those things that are bad for your body and abhor them. Detest them. Make it so that they make you just disgusted with that thing. Like we were talking about before. Abortion is something that you should abhor. It should be disgusting to you. Because we know of God's view on the thing. And God's view of children. And God's view of them as a gift. And we should abhor anything of that nature. That's something that we should shun. We should get away from. Abhor what is evil. When I pick up on something as being evil, I abhor it. That means if there is heresy that is out there. False doctrine. I abhor false doctrine. I'm not going to try and get up close to that to find out why is that wrong. I don't get close to sauerkraut to find out what is it about sauerkraut that disgusts me. I just get away from it. It's gone. I, just, I don't really care what it is about it. I just know. And you've got to do the same thing. There are some things that are just disgusting to you. Some of you moms know that your sons do some things that you consider to be repulsive. Disgusting. How can anyone do that? And the sons, once they pick up, that moms think that it's repulsive and disgusting, relishing it all the more. <laughs> That's just something that seems to be being them to do. Just don't let them know that it repulses you and disgusts you and probably will go away. 
abhor what is evil. Make sure that you, that you get to a place where you just let yourself become disgusted with it. He's saying, just get away from it. Get to the place. You cannot get close to this thing. You cannot get close to this thing. It has to be some far, far away. Cling to what is good. The word there, cling or cleave, is from the Greek word kaleo. It is the same word that is used about a husband clinging to his wife. The same word. which is, It's the old Greek word that means to glue or to cement something together. And the word denotes a permanent connection. However, this is a connection that was not there originally. It was not there originally. It was something that was brought in. So he's saying, abhor what is evil. Get away from that stuff. You may or may not have liked it before. You may have uh, been okay with it before. But go over here to this that you were not connected to. Cling to what is good. Go over here and become glued to, become attached to this area over here. Find those things that are good. And the word there for good is the Greek word agathos. We've talked about this word a number of times. Good as to its nature. It's good by its nature. It is good for you. It will feed your spirit, man. It will feed. You have, you have looked at this stuff and you have judged it. It is good stuff. Good as to its nature. So I'm going to cleave to those things that are good. How do I know what is good and how do I know what is evil? Well, the Word of God speaks to us about evil things. It speaks to us about good things. And so the more I get into the Word of God, and the Word of God identifies evil for me. The Word of God identifies good for me. Then I say, all right, Father God, you have said that is good. And so I will, I will go after that. I will pursue that. How many of you have some things in your diet that you eat now that before you... ah, But then you find out, you know, this is good for you. Really? It don't look good for me. I don't know. I mean, when I was growing up, seafood was not a favorite of mine. In fact, I abhorred seafood. I would try and get away from seafood because my only understanding of seafood was white fish with ketchup poured over it, put into the oven. That's what I thought seafood was. That's the only way I ever saw it done. Except once in a while, be fried. And when it was fried, people still put ketchup on. I'm not a big ketchup fan to begin with. But this just, it just, it was, all right, if we have to, that's all that there is, we'll go ahead and eat it. And I went through all high school, I went through all of college, I went through all of Rhema, never changed my view of seafood. Didn't go after seafood, didn't pursue seafood. If I went to a restaurant, I'd order pasta. Maybe I might order chicken, but generally I ordered pasta. I always tell, that's what, how I tell if it's a good restaurant or not, by its pasta. But then I took a job for Kelchner's Horseradish delivering horseradish. Well, we delivered cocktail sauce. We went into a lot of seafood stores and I still delivered work to this job for a whole year. Never changed my viewpoint on seafood. Went into seafood stores. Didn't change my view on it. Still, it disgusts me. And you know, when you get into the coolers of seafood stores, it is not something that's going to make it appetizing for you. In fact, uh, you, know, you, you go through the, the, the plastic things they have draping down and the fish would go through that. And then you go through it. And you can imagine what you smell like after a number of times of going through all this. And Definitely was a job that I showered after work. Because it was awful getting all that stuff on you. So I never really changed my viewpoint on it. But I can tell you the very day that my viewpoint of seafood changed. I can tell you exactly where I was and who it was that changed it. It was down in Seattle City, New Jersey. And I would picked up a new route. I was taking on this new route. And I was uh, going to be taking over the, the shore run and did that for a number of years. 
and I was in a restaurant called Carmen's. If you've been down to Seattle City, you may have recognized it's over there by the Bay side where there's a conglomeration of, of place. And the, the gentleman there who ran it, he and his wife ran it. They were, they were in their 60s when I was delivering back in the 80s. And the guy went about his business like he was 40. He just had so much energy. Just running around and stuff. And he was in there. He was cooking a fish called mahi-mahi. I'd never even heard of a fish called mahi-mahi before. But it's dolphin. And when he, he told me that's dolphin fish, I thought... I mean, he saw him look at my face and, dolphin? You're, you're eating dolphin? He said, that's a dolphin fish, not the mammal. Oh, all right. And he had it breaded up and he had it oiled, his little oil in the pan. He's cooking it up inside. He said, got to sit down and try some. And he was always his MO. Whenever he was cooking something, if you came in and delivered, he's going to feed you. And so he'd sit you on down there and he'd have you eat some. And I'll tell you what, that was good. That changed my viewpoint of seafood. I thought, my, what I thought before, it's out the window. This is all right. And so, you know, I, as I was delivering down there, being more friends and people would tell me things, and oh, you've got to try this. You've got to try this one. Have you ever tried? No, I never tried that. You've got to try this. This is a fresh one. And I started bringing home fresh stuff to, for mom and dad when I was living there and, and I was still working there. And just changed my viewpoint on seafood. Now what if I go into a restaurant? I'll order pasta or seafood. Very seldom do I order anything else. That's pretty much, pretty much it. My wife likes seafood. The rest of our family doesn't like seafood a whole lot. But seafood is good for you. I knew it was good for you. But I just, you know, there was no real reason to go after it. I didn't really try it. But once you find out, you know, something is good for you, don't you try and cling to that? Don't you try and go, oh, I've got to give it a shot. I've got to help this thing out. How many of you have tried oatmeal? You know, you heard oatmeal is good for you. And you tried that out. Cheerios, find out Cheerios was good for you. Went out there and tried that whole wheat or bran things and, and you went out there and tried that out instead of getting that muffin you got. All right, bran's better for me. I'll try that. And then you, you get those things and after a while you begin to like it and you begin to uh, to enjoy it. And Not always. I know there's some things you say, ah, it's good for me, but I really just don't, don't like it. Vegetables, fruits. And you begin to, to, to do this, cling to what is good. Take that which you weren't attached to before and work on establishing a relationship. Paste yourself. Glue yourself. Get yourself firmly attached to that thing that, it, that has been deemed as good. So when we go through the Word of God and the Word of God tells us this is a good thing, this is a bad thing, I say, all right, I trust the Word of God. The Word of God says this is bad. I'm going to stay away from it. The Word of God says this is good. I'm going to cling to it. I told you there's a lot more we can get into with these words. These, were, these are some real fun, fun words. But abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. If I try and walk the Christian walk and cling to what is evil and abhor what is good, what's going to happen to my walk? It's not going to be so good. I've got to determine those things that are good from the Word of God and determine those things that are bad from the Word of God and endeavor to get out there and, and to have them. Be kindly affectionate. We talked about this some last week. But be kindly affectionate to one another. Prefer one another. We spend a lot of time on that part. Prefer one another. Well, you've got to walk in that preference. I've got to give preference to each other. Don't give preference to yourself all the time. Get out there and prefer other people. Well, I don't really want to do that. They want me to, but I don't really want to do that. No, get out there and do it. Not lagging in diligence. The word here for lagging is... In some of your Bibles, it's translated slothful. Not lagging or not slothful. It comes from the Greek word, akneros. 
It means lazy or idle. Lazy or idle. And it carries the idea of a person who has a do-nothing, lethargic, lackadaisical, apathetic, indifferent, lukewarm attitude toward life. Just, eh, whatever happens. Whatever goes on, that's that's all right. Not lagging, not slothful, not slack, not lackadaisical. Indiligence. There is a uh, story in Matthew chapter 25. Matthew 25th chapter. You can write this down, look it up later. The 26th verse where it is speaking where Jesus talks about the wicked servant who was thrown into outer darkness. The word there for wicked is the same word. Wicked. Lagging. Slothful. That doesn't seem that God has a very good opinion of people that are slothful. People that are lagging. People that are indifferent. Don't let that be a part of you. Not lagging, not slothful, in diligence. If you have a Bible that says business there, King James Bible I think translates to business. That's not a real good translation. The word is actually diligence. The word is, uh, it, it means to do, to do something with eagerness or to do something with diligence. To do something with eagerness or to do something with diligence. So not lagging, not slothful in doing things with eagerness with doing things with diligence. Do not be, be slothful in that. Don't be lagging behind. Don't be lax about this. Go after it with everything that you've got. This is a command that He's given. He is concerned about our behavior. He's not saying just go out there and be operating in gifts. Be operating in things that God has given you to do. Be operating in ministries. He says cling to what is good. Abhor what is evil. Not lagging in diligence. So if you take whatever it is that you do in ministry, whatever it is that you do for God, and you are lagging in diligence, you're going against the Word of God, and you're actually functioning to do something for God with an attitude that God does not like. And God calls wicked. That's not so good, is it? Not lagging in diligence. Then He gives the other. He, gave, he said before, abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. He gave the other side. Here He does it again. Not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit. The word there, fervent, is from the Greek word, and this one you ought to be somewhat familiar with. It's just flipped a little bit. Is the word zeo. The Greek word zeo. Not zoe, but zeo. Just spelled uh, slightly different, same letters. It was originally meant to boil. They would use this word to describe a boiling pot of water. It was fervent. It was boiling. So it gives you a picture of a person who is so enthusiastic about his task, so enthusiastic about what they are going to do, that they are boiling with anticipation. They are fervent in spirit. Fervent. In fact, when you look at the, t- the tense of this, it should actually be translated, be constantly fervent in spirit. In other words, because of the tense that he uses here, he's saying, I'm not saying build yourself up to be fervent and then, you know, back off for a little bit and then build yourself back up again and then back off a little bit. He's saying continually, constantly have this fervence of spirit. How many of you right now can say that your life can be described as fervent in spirit when you understand it like that? Just use your inside hand if you want to raise your hand. Not raise your hand. You don't have to let anybody else know about it. 
But that's what He's describing us to be. That when you take on that ministry, that gift, when you do the thing that God has put for you to do, you are fervent in spirit. You are not lagging in diligence. You are going after this thing with everything that you've got. You keep that pot boiling. You keep that going. Now, there's only one way to keep a pot boiling. If you don't, you gotta keep it on the heat. If you take it off the heat, what happens to that pot? It stops boiling. It don't take a long either. Pull that pot off, stops boiling. It's still hot, but it stops the boiling process of it. Stay on the heat. Fervent in spirit. Keep your spirit in contact with the Holy Spirit. Keep that communication going. It's up to you. Not lagging in diligence. Boy, I tell you, we gotta put, we're gonna be faithful folks. If we're gonna be faithful, we gotta take these commands that He says and we gotta apply ourselves to them. We could be sitting there, how many of you are sitting there saying right now, this is too much for me. I can't live like this. You don't understand. That's not my personality. It's not the way I'm going. Oh, this sounds so hard. Well, that's okay. Just, uh, take your fingers, put it up at the top of the page and just rip that part right out of your Bible. Right? I mean, if it works, any part that you don't agree with, any part that's a little bit hard for you to do, just rip it right out of your Bible. Right? Everybody right now, just, you know, rip it right on out. Is that what we're going to do? No! We can't pick and choose what parts of the Bible we want to keep, can't we? It's all in there. If we're going to agree that all of it's good, then all of it's got to be good. And if I'm not, if my life isn't where it ought to be, if I'm not walking in the things that I like to be walking in, then probably some part of the Bible I'm not quite operating in. I have not abhorred what is evil, have we? How many? Let's take a couple of things. We just meddle a little bit here. You don't mind if I meddle just a little bit? You never do, do you? <laughs> How about complaining? How many of y'all like complaining people? Don't you just love to go visit complaining people? You know that if you go call somebody up or visit somebody, they're going to complain. Oh, this isn't right. And this isn't right. And I don't like this. And this... Oh, I can't believe it. And they complain, complain, complain. Is complaining part of what we would call evil? Or good? Well, if we're not sure about that, let's go through the Word of God just kind of real quick and just think about what happened in the Bible every time somebody complained. I mean, Adam complained about Eve. Eve complained about the serpent. That didn't go so well, did it? The children of Israel, what do they do out there doing? They're complaining we don't have food. They're complaining we're, we're prisoners. We're, we're slaves. We're, they're complaining because the army's behind them. They're complaining because of their lack of this and their lack of that. And God isn't doing this and God isn't doing that. Complain, complain, complain. How did God respond to that? Go a little bit further down in history and you look at Israel. How, how did God respond to Israel's complaint under the reign of David? When Jeremiah was prophet. When Isaiah was prophet. How did God uh, take all their complaints there? How about Jesus? How did He handle complaints? How did He do with those? Well, we don't get a very good picture from the Word of God of God and complaints. And yet, we'll do them all the time. So what are we doing? Are we abhorring what is evil? No. I'm clinging to what is evil. Aren't I? Every time I do complaining? Alright, we don't like that one. Gossip. I mean, we all love to hear good gossip stories, don't we? I mean, it's not good. These aren't good stories. There's no good purpose. The Word of God doesn't say go around and gossip about each other. The Word of God says, if you see your brother in sin, if you see something wrong, go over there and correct them, right? 
But it's easier to talk to people who are not involved than it is to talk to the person who's, who's involved. Are we abhorring what is evil? Are we clinging to what is good? We aren't quite doing that, are we? If we determine something to be wicked, evil, no good, we must determine, I'm not going to have any part of that. That's, that's, that's wicked. If someone came into your house and wanted to set up a seance, how many of you recognize that as evil and throw it out? And you would abhor it. Oh, yeah, you're not doing that in mine. What are you talking about? But if somebody comes into your house or you go into somebody else's house, you have no problem setting up gossip and complaining sessions. Doesn't God hate witchcraft? Doesn't God seem to hate complaining? How come we aren't abhorring what is evil? Alright, we don't like that too much, so we'll just move on. Going to something that y'all like, right? <laughs> Not lagging in diligence. Don't be lagging in this. He says, don't, you've got to apply diligence. You have to be the one who's diligent. No one else can do this. You all work with people? How many of you have people at work that are diligent? How many of you have people at work that are not? Whose decision was it? It's theirs. No one else makes that decision. Now, the non-diligent people always have someone to blame, don't they? But you will notice that those who are diligent do not sit around and blame people. They just go, well, just jump on in there and let's get it taken care of. Don't be on the side of the non-diligent people in spiritual things. Because you can be diligent in natural things and not diligent in spiritual. It's important that you be diligent in spiritual. You can be diligent in natural things and not diligent in mental things. What do you mean by that? You can be very diligent to keep yourself out of adultery and not diligent to keep your mind clean. Be diligent in all areas. Not lagging in diligence, not slothful, but fervent in spirit. Rejoicing in hope. Rejoicing in hope. What's the contrary part to that? I mean, a person who's rejoicing in hope, they say, all right, I know we can get there. I know God's taking me there. I know I can get there. Whatever it is, I'm not there yet, but that's where we're going. That's what's going to happen. This right over here. This is what's happening over here. And when we keep that, I'm rejoicing in hope. But then what happens when we're sitting there rejoicing in hope? Things happen that aren't so good, aren't they? I mean, people don't respond the way they're supposed to respond. People don't function the way they're supposed to function. Things don't go on the way you'd like to see them go on. Hmm. And you were rejoicing in hope, but all of a sudden it seems like, oh, that's not going to work. Oh, that's not going to happen. And you begin to stop rejoicing in hope and you begin to go the other way. Get out of all that sort of stuff. But he says, rejoice, be rejoicing in hope. Let's go back here and read these, these all together. Not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Because that's who we serve. We don't serve for our own selves. We're serving the Lord. It's Him. Rejoicing in hope. Patient in tribulation. Rejoicing in hope. Patient in tribulation. The word there for patient does not just mean that you patiently take it. That if somebody, if, you were the, if your picture was of a, of a boxing match and the, the one guy was in there getting, just getting his ears boxed by the other guy. Patient in tribulation is not sitting there saying, I can take another punch. I can take another punch. Go ahead, hit me again. That's not being patient in tribulation. That's just being stupid. 
You get no reward for being stupid. There are no stupid crowns. God doesn't say, oh, you were stupid all through your life. Come on up here and get your crown. It's not, that's not what He's going to do. He says, patient in tribulation. It means that under tribulation, you continued to do what you knew to do. That's patient in tribulation. As Father God, I am not going to stop what it is that I'm supposed to be doing. I am going to continue on. I am going to keep on going on, doing what your word told me to do. I'm going to keep on clinging to what is good. I'm going to keep on abhorring what is evil. And yet you'll be going this way. You, you've been studying the word. You abhor this evil. You cling to this good. And here comes brother, sister, so-and-so. And brother, sister, so-and-so is clinging to evil that you know is evil. And it's appealing to you. But you have decided I am going to walk in a way to abhor that 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 would become disgusting to me. And here's this one over here. And they just seem to be going along just fine. Hmm. I'm over here facing all this tribulation. devil's been coming after me. The world's been coming after me. And here's this one over here. They're not abhorring what is it. I'm just going to go up. Just forget the fight. I'm just going to go over here and do this. I'm going to go ahead and gossip. I'm going to go ahead and complain. I'm going to go ahead and do this and do that and, and go this. That's not being patient in tribulation. You've given up on the fight. You passed up on the fight. Don't don't pass up on the fight. Patient in tribulation. You see, if there was no tribulation, no attack to get you out of what you're doing, then the patience is useless. Or at least it's not evident. But when you continually come under the attack to get this thing done, and, and some something keeps stirring up on the inside of you to get you to complain. No, no, I'm going to abhor what is evil. I'm going to cling to what is good. What is good is rejoicing in hope. What is bad is complaining about all the negative stuff going on. All the negative people in my life. All the problems that I have. All the things that God hasn't come through on me for. Nope. Don't do that. Don't sit out there complaining in the wilderness. We have no water. We have no bread. We don't know where we're going. It's all a waste of time. Don't be doing it. Not lagging in diligence. Fervent in spirit. Rejoicing in hope. Patient in tribulation. That's what he's talking about as far as patience is concerned. Continuing steadfastly in prayer. I'll tell you what, this is important to understand. Continuing steadfastly in prayer. He does not say continuing steadfastly griping to God. Continue steadfastly complaining to God. Continue steadfastly telling God all the problems that you have with this person and that person and this thing and this job and this car and this house. Praying to God involves faith. Complaining does not involve faith. You go before God and you, how many times would this describe your prayer life? Oh God, it's so hard down here. Do you see me? I'm, I've been trying to stay with your word. I'm going to church most of the time and I'm getting into the Word as much as I can and, and uh, I'm, I'm doing what you said in your Word to do, but oh, it's so hard. Do you see how much struggle I've been overcoming? That's not praying. That'll make your emotions feel real good, but prayer is not an emotional thing, folks. Prayer is a spiritual thing. Pray from your spirit. Go before God and, and just quit it. I mean, what about Jesus? Jesus gets into the garden how many of you, if you were in the garden and you were going in the garden to pray like Jesus, 
would go before there. Oh God, you sent me down here to help these people and all they do is want to beat me up. They want to kill me. They want to abuse me. They want to say nasty things about me. I mean, did you just see that the other day? Last week I healed that guy and then he's over here complaining. Does he, does he do that? doesn't do that. He gives us the example of prayer. He goes before God, Father God, I got your purpose. I got where you're going. Now, if there's another way for us to get this done, let's go ahead and do it. But if not, I'm doing it your way. I'm going your way. Have his kind of prayer sessions. Have those kind of prayer sessions. Don't, don't be over there griping and moaning and complaining to God. You're not rejoicing in hope anymore. Rejoice in hope. Patient in tribulation. Continuing steadfastly in prayer. Distributing to the needs of the saints. Yeah, but that one doesn't deserve it. That one made mistakes. Aren't you glad that God still helps us out when we make mistakes? I heard somebody say that the other... So some weeks ago I was listening to something. So aren't you glad that God helps us? It was on healing. Somebody was talking about healing. That's what it was. And there were many... I think it was my, my pastor, Bob. Pastor Bob. And he's talking about healing in, in that area. And he was... Um, Relating that, aren't you glad that God doesn't first off qualify you? Well, did you eat? Did you eat right? I mean, have you been exercising? All right, we'll tell you what. When you go, go on up from here, change your diet, get some exercise, and then come on back here and we'll talk about prayer. We'll talk about healing. Does he do that? When you go to the doctor's office, this is an example here that uh, Pastor Bob used. When you go to the doctor's office and you sit in the doctor's office and you have a problem, does the doctor say, have you been doing what you're supposed to? And if you say, I haven't been, I haven't been eating right. All right. Uh, you been exercising? No, I, I know you told me I had to get on that program, but I haven't done it yet. Does the doctor then say, well, you know what? I'm not going to help you at all. Doesn't the doctor try and do his best? I mean, he's got to get you to do what you had to do, right? But doesn't he just still go out from there? Doesn't the doctor try and at least help you out best he can? Well, why would God do any less? Yeah, God knows you got to do some things. You got to change some things. And I'll tell you about it. But, um, Thank God. <laughs> it doesn't qualify us that way. Distributing to the needs of the saints given to hospitality. Given the hospitality. Enjoy fellowship with the saints. We talked about it before. If your house only holds one family besides yours, then just invite one family over. You can get two in there, invite two. So we were over at Naz and Sharon's the other, uh, some weeks ago. And they, I, I, could you have put anybody else in that house? I think we would have been outside the door. I, they, they packed that house out with as many as they possibly could. Mm. They'll probably do it again too. Grab some other people and, and put them on in there. I mean, not everybody's house can hold the whole church. Maybe today, because some of them are someplace else. But, <laughs> but normally, no. It's, it's kind of tough. But that's all right. Invite who you can. Be hospitable. Invite some folks out. On out. And don't just invite the popular people or the people, well, I like those ones. I don't really like those. I like that one. Over no, I don't want to know. No, how are you going to get to know them and find out what you like about them, whether you do or not? He didn't say, give in the hospitality to those that you like. He said, give in the hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Ooh, that's hard, isn't it? How many times whoever it is has been in president doing things, bless those who persecute you. 
I mean, the previous president, you all know, I, I was a fan of, of President Bush for the most part. He didn't do everything that I would have liked to have seen done and did some things that I, I wouldn't have. But I've, overall, I was a fan of the, of the guy. And yet, in the last year, our country moved more to, to being a socialistic country under his watch. Can't blame him on much other else outside the Congress and, and the President there. That's not, that's, that's, to me, that's persecution. Because that's attacking my way of life. The way of life we've come to enjoy in here. And I don't, I don't want the government owning the banks. I don't want the government owning the car companies. I don't want the government owning the media outlets. I'm not going to listen to them anyway, but I don't want the government owning them. I don't want the government owning insurance companies. And now that apparently, you know, just already, last year, they got stake in all those things. That's not a good thing. But still, I have a responsibility to, to pray for him as president, pray for President Obama, no matter what I receive from them that I think is blessing or persecution. Well, a couple people like that. That's good. We have that responsibility. And so we pray for them. I don't like socialist agendas. I don't want the government owning stuff. I'm under the opinion that, as far as America is, is concerned, America, the people that make up America, they solve the problems. I don't believe the government does. I go back to, to uh, Ronald Reagan. He wanted to get government out of our way. Glory to God for that. Get government out of the way. We're getting to, have you ever noticed this? That whenever we have recessions, and I'm not talking about this president because he just got started, but previous presidents, whenever we have recessions, or, or, or economy, economic downturns, that the government didn't grow, didn't shrink. Your uh, your place where you work at, they laid off people. Your salary may have gone down. What happened to the government? They kept hiring people. And then when they started doing better again, they kept hiring more people. And then when if it, you know because economies are always up and then down, they, it's just a natural cycle. How come the government never takes a hit? <laughs> How come they're never laying off people? Well, some of you folks work at the government. You don't want them to lay off people. <laughs> I understand that. <laughs> yeah, I understand that. But boy, I tell you what, you gotta, well, you gotta be careful. That's all money coming out of your pocket, whether you work for the government or not. Taxes got to go. Some, you got to pay for all those salaries somewhere. Anyway, whether you think this president, last president, whether you think your current governor, your current mayor, your current senator. Whether you think they are blessing you or persecuting you, you have a responsibility to pray for them. So do so. I mean, Jesus, He was under Caesar. How good was He? He's telling us to, how, to, how to pray. Paul was under Caesar. He's the one telling us that. They had some pretty evil Caesars. Rejoice. Well, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. And complain with those who complain. No, we'd like that to be in there, wouldn't we? Weep with those who weep. Don't get in there. I mean, there's nothing worse when you are just you're just caught up with weeping, and somebody comes and says, and just rejoicing. That just kind of rubs you the wrong way, doesn't it? <laughs> or you're rejoicing, and someone comes in weeping. In other words, minister to the need of the people that's there. Be the same mind toward one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. 
And do not be wise in your own opinion. Do not set your mind. Let's go over this. Do not set your mind on high things. The word there for mind is from the Greek word phroneo. It means to think, to consider, or to ponder. It carries the idea of intense reflection. And furthermore, the Greek uses the, the Greek uses a negative, which makes the verse a very strong prohibition. A better translation could be: Stop fixating on high things. Stop fixating. Stop getting your mind fixed on high things. Is what he's saying. Now, what are high things? The word high things come from the Greek word hupsela. Hupsela. In the verse, they refer to the opinions and behavior patterns that accompany a person who has an attitude of superiority. Don't have an attitude of superiority. You are to have a humble attitude in wherever it is that you do, whoever it is that you deal with, whoever it is that you talk with. You make sure you keep your attitude humble. Do not come after them with a prideful attitude. Do not have your mind fixated on high things. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. In other words, I am so fixated on high things that I cannot... I, I can't be bothered with you. can't be bothered with your problem. That is so petty. That is so... Oh, I cannot believe that you are into that. No, come on. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. And do not be wise in your own opinion. Do not be wise in your own opinion. Oh, that's hard for all of us, isn't it? Because the reason I have that opinion is because it's right. I mean, that right? Isn't that why you have the opinion that you have? Because it's right. You wouldn't have the opinion if it was wrong. How many times do you go up to somebody and say, what's your opinion on this? And they give you the opinion. and, and you, Do you know that's wrong? Yeah. Do they do that? No, that's not what's going on. The reason you have an opinion is because you believe it to be right. But he says, do not be wise in your own opinion. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Do not be wise in your own opinion. In other words... Try and minister to people. Don't just try and, and douse them. Put them down. Do not, be, do not repay one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. Have regard for good. Well, we're supposed to cling to what is, what is good. If it is possible, get this verse, folks. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Understand this, you cannot live peaceably with everyone. <laughs> I mean, some people are just, it's just not possible. You, you all know, you all have those. those. Now, who said their husband? <laughs> no, no, no. As much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. It, not all of it depends on you. But for the part that does depend on you, you live peaceably with the people. As much as depends on you. Watch what you say. Watch what you think on. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Give in to hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. All these things. Put these into practice so that you can live peaceably with all men. As much as depends on you. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to... But rather give place... To wrath for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. 
Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Do not underestimate the power of being good. Do do not underestimate God's goodness. Go out there with it. Because God's good can overcome evil. But have that mind. Rejoice in that hope. Have that mindset. God's good can overcome evil. Very often, as we look on this thing with, with this topic of faithfulness, very often, we blame a lot of things for our lack of faithfulness, for our lack of diligence, for our lack in this area and our lack in that area. As much as depends on you. If you are going to be found faithful before God, you have got to do what you can do. When you show up at work and you show up late, who was responsible? Don't blame the kids. Don't blame the wife or the husband. Don't blame the alarm clock. Don't blame the dogs. Don't blame the cats. Don't blame traffic. When you get right down to it, whose fault was it? Yours. I didn't leave early enough. I should have left early. If you are late on a continual basis, you are in denial. Fix it. You can do it. Rejoice in hope, folks. You can do it. You can overcome that thing. You can be faithful. You can be there. Whatever it is you do for God, keep that boiling fervency going. It's up to you to keep it going. No one else can keep you on the heat. You've got to keep yourself on the heat. Keep yourself in that spot. Father, I feel like I'm, I'm growing cold to you. I don't really want to get into your word. I don't really want to get into prayer. Whose responsibility is it to keep you on the fire? It isn't anybody else's. Certainly not your dogs. Certainly not your cats. Not your mom and dads. Not your spouses. Not your kids. Not your boss. Not the Holy Spirit. It's your job. Keep yourself there. Keep yourself on the heat. As much as depends on you. Put this in your outline. Don't blame a bad attitude on others. Don't blame a bad attitude on others. If you got a bad attitude, just admit it. It's your bad attitude. It's your fault you got it. And it's you that can get rid of it. If you've got a complaining spirit on the inside of you, I don't mean an evil spirit like you're possessed. I just mean that's the way that you've been letting yourself incline. It's not anybody else's fault. You change it. If you've got a gossip thing going on inside of you, it's not anybody else's fault. It's yours. You have not abhorred what is evil and clung to what is good. Don't blame a bad attitude on others. It is your fault. Come to terms with it. Change it. Fervency and diligence diligency are your responsibility. They are your responsibility. They are not anyone else's. If you're going to be fervent in spirit, if you're going to be diligent in what it is that you do, if you're going to be faithful to the end, faithful in whatever it is that you do, you must take responsibility. You must take ownership of it. If you are faithful with a few things, God will entrust you with more things. If you do not have more things, stop blaming other people. Come to grips. Father, the reason I don't have more is because I have not been found faithful in your eyes. I need to be faithful in your eyes. Because if you are faithful in His eyes, you will find things to do in the realm of the Spirit. You will find ministry opportunities. They will abound. They will be all over. You will not have a hard time. They will be there. But it's up to you.
Faithfulness is in your ball, ball court. Diligence, that's for you. Fervency, it's up to you folks. Getting rid of the evil in your life, you have to be the one who abhors it. Taking on the good, you are the one that must cling to it. It's all up to you. Would you all stand up with me? Father, we thank you that we are not victims in this world. We are not people that others have done things to and we are just the result of all the things that all these people, all these governments, all these laws, all these regulations, we are not the product of all those things. Father, we are the product of a... We are a child of God. We have a newborn, recreated spirit down the inside of us and we have the name of Jesus, that authority over all things that resides in us. Glory to your name. There is nothing that should be found impossible to us. Father, help us to get out of the complaining, griping, moaning, groaning, victimized way of life, whatever place that we have found it to settle in our, in our lives. Help us to abhor that evil and to cling to what is good, to rejoice in hope, to know the hope of Your Word and to keep continually rejoicing in it. We give You the praise and the glory for it. You will help us, Father, to become more faithful than we have been, that more things would find their way to us. As we are faithful with a few, more will be given. But help us to wake up to the fact that if we have not seen more come our way, then we better realize that faithfulness has not been the part that it needs to be. Father, I thank You we can change that. And Your Holy Spirit helps us. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.